Good morning. I'm Katie Gruber. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Perfect, Katie. Thank you for that. You guys have a seat. For some of us, that's kind of new uh, to hear after the reading of the word that this is the word of the Lord and for the church to respond. Uh, wait a minute. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Yeah, we're thankful for the word. That's, of course, that's what's happening. Uh, well, anyway, my name's Trey Bailey, uh, one of the pastors here at Eastridge, and I'm so excited to be with you this morning. I have loved, loved, loved the Roman series. Um, if, if you're here and you're like, haven't we been doing Romans all year? Yes, we've been doing Romans. Uh, we've broken up into three different sections, but we've been doing it all year. Now, if you're in Sammy's uh, Sunday school class, you're thinking, why is it, why are they going so fast? Right? Sammy, is it the 50th lesson? So Sammy Sunday School class is in the 50th lesson this week, and they're just in Romans 7. So if you want to deep dive into Romans, you can jump into that Sunday School class uh, with that group of folks there, and, uh, and you can go a, a lot slower pace, much more detailed pace, I should say, right? All right, so this morning, I want to bring your attention to something that you, do you guys remember these, these bracelets? You remember those? And mine just happened to be my favorite colors. Again, red and black. I'm going to keep making the reference. So until someone says go dogs, I'm just going to keep. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Now we can continue. <laughs> All right. Um, so you remember these bracelets, right? And they were, they were created like in 1989. Uh, and they were real popular in the 90s when I was in youth group. They were real popular. And then they became so popular that Everybody started wearing them. They had no idea what the letters meant. They just started wearing them as like a fashion statement. Uh, they might, they're back, kind of back in vogue again. And I think maybe some people know what they mean. Maybe they don't. Uh, but here's what, here's what they're intended for. And we'll get to what they mean in a minute. But here's what they're intended for. They were meant to help us with our Christiformity. Now, some of you should have went, huh? Thank you. I, I don't know if it's a made up word. I read it in a book. But Christiformity. And Christiformity, it sounds like some sort of side effect from a TV, you know, drug commercial like WWJD, Mike calls upset stomach, diarrhea, Christiformity, or, you know, <laughs> ringing in the ears. Um, it's not a side effect. It's not some different language. Christiformity is just kind of two words smashed together. And it means to, to be conformed into Christ. Christiformity. We're going to use the word a few times this morning, so you might as well go ahead and say it. Christiformity. Thank you. We're conforming our lives to be more like Christ, both in the way he lived, so in his life, and, and also in his identity, who he was. So it's not just things that we do, but it's also who we are, who we are in Christ. So who, who together, what does WWJD stand for? What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? Well, we could ask that question, but we know as Christians, we know what Jesus has done. So I used to always kind of think they were funny and a little cheesy, but if you wear them now, they're not cheesy now, they're fine. But I used to think, when you, when you see the bracelet on your hand, you're supposed to ask yourself the question, what would Jesus do? What would he do in this moment? What would Jesus do right now? 
what would he do? And I'm, I'm really emphasizing the word do because we wanna, I want you to understand it's about an action. What would Jesus do? Well, Jesus was the son of God. What Jesus did was he died on the cross for our sins and then he beat death, hell, and the grave and was resurrected on the third day. Amen. Amen. Anybody can do that? No. So it almost felt silly to wear these bracelets to go, well, what has Jesus done? He died on the cross and he rose from the grave. All right, I'll do that today. That's what I'll do. I'll rise from the grave. When I think about what I should do in the situation, I'll go, what would Jesus do? He would resurrect himself. He would prove to the world that he's God. I'll do that. Of course not. All right. Now, if you ask yourself, if you wear these little bracelets and you ask yourself, what would Jesus do? You kind of need to know also what he says to do, right? So, you know, a, a, a trick you could, a trap you could fall into possibly is that you could be at Thanksgiving. You could be at the ladies' Friendsgiving thing Friday night where you're having a feast or whatever, or the men's breakfast Saturday morning, right? You could be at either one of those events and you could go, what would Jesus do? Well, he turned the tables over. That's what he did. And that would be ridiculous, right? So you need to know what Jesus says to do, in what context, and what situation. These are meant to bring us to Christiformity, to help us to ask the question, what would Christ do? Now, if Galatians 2.20 is true, if, if the same Paul who wrote the letter to the Romans wrote the letter to the Galatians, in Galatians 2.20 it says, I, this is Paul speaking. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the body, I live by faith to the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. He gave himself up for me. The life that I now live in the body, I live to him. The sacrifice of Christ was holy and it was pleasing to the Lord. And Christ lives in me. And Christ lives in you. And Christ lives in you. And here's the problem and the wrestling we'll have today in Romans 12. Is that I don't always look like Christ. I don't always do what Jesus would do. I often don't do the things Jesus would do. But he's alive in me, right? He's alive in you. So why don't you do what Jesus would do? What keeps us from it? Why is he not revealing himself as alive in us? Why is there not more Christiformity in my life? And so to answer that question, we're going to see what Paul has to say. The Holy Spirit inspiring Paul to write this letter to the Roman church. And if you remember, the Roman church is made up of Christian Jews and Christian Gentiles. And they worship different. And it looks different. And some people like the old hymns and some people like the new songs, right? Some people want to eat the old way and some people don't want to eat the old way. Some people, you get what I'm saying? No drums, some drums. I don't know what they were fighting about. A lot of this stuff, though, was how they worshiped and how they're going to worship now together. And so this is for not just Israel's as a church, or just the Roman church. It's for all of us who call ourselves believers because the believers of Christ are the church. And we've got to figure out how to live together in unity 
even with our Pentecostal brothers and sisters, even with our far-right fundamental Baptists. It doesn't matter the denomination. I'm telling you right now, if we are believers in Christ, we've got to find a place where we can unify. And you know where that's at? The cross of Christ. That's the main thing, the cross and the grave. The empty cross, the empty grave. That's where we can, that's where we can come together and find unity. And I would encourage you to find unity there. So, the first 11 chapters, certainly the first 8 chapters of Romans, are probably the first 11. Paul has given us a beautiful picture of the gospel of God. He's given us, a, 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 as a, a Kurt uses the Greek word euangelion a lot, and that just means the gospel, the good news. Paul has given us this kind of exposition of the gospel. He's explained it. He's given us the head doctrine, right? What to believe what Christ did, why he had to do it, um, how it all works out in justification. Remember those words? Things like that. Like he gave us the, how, the, the, the what and the why. And now in chapter 12 and through chapter 12 to the end of the book, chapter 16, what we see now is just what it looks like. This is now the how. If the first 11 chapters of Romans are true, and, the, and that doctrine and that gospel is so beautiful and true, how do, how do we live then? What does it look like in a believer? And that's where he starts in chapter 12. He says, and then this is going to be our hands and feet doctrine. So we went from head doctrine to now our hands and our feet doctrine. How do we live this out? How? How is there more Christiformity? How do I become and look like, more like Christ? How can I make decisions that Christ would make? And so this is what I would call the easiest to teach. Matter of fact, I'm not going to teach hardly anything today. I'm going to read the scripture to you. Paul is going to teach you. The Holy Spirit in you is going to go, ah, that's what I need to work on. Ah, that's the application for me. I'm not going to tell you those things. You don't need me to tell you those things. Maybe, maybe you needed the, us, the pastors, to help you with the first 11 chapters of what does this really mean and let's dig in and understand better. But man, when it comes to just the application of the word, you've got the spirit in you. You've got the word, hopefully, in your hand or in your mind and you're reading it every day. If you have those things, the rest of this is easy teaching and tough to do. You hear me? It's easy teaching. Do this, do this, do this. Don't do this. But boy, it's hard to do. And here's the why. Romans 12, 1 and 2. These first two verses are key to getting the rest of it right. So for instance, before we can read again, one more thing, one more thing, because I told you I was going to read it. So once we get to reading it, we're pretty much done. The first two verses are critical for us understanding how to apply gospel into our lives, how to be Christiformed, how to, how to have Christiformity, how to look more like Christ. If you just pick up Romans 12 and read Romans 12 to the end, particularly starting at verse 3, if you read from verse 3 to the end of the book, it could sound like legalism. Like if you forget the first part, it's just a checklist of do this, don't do this, do this. If you don't look like this, you're not getting it right. And that would be painful to us. It would have been painful for the Jews who heard this, the Christian Jews in Rome. It would have been painful to hear that and go, wait a minute, that's what we've been trying to do. We've been trying to check off the list and earn our salvation. And Paul says, no, 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 no. You do the things in 12 through 16 because of what Christ has done for you in Romans 1 through 11. And so he starts this passage by saying, 
Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in view of God's mercy, that's the starting point. In view of everything that we have said so far in this letter, all of the head doctrine, therefore, in view of what Christ has done so beautifully for you, that mercy given to you, that something given to you that you did not deserve, in view of that mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Romans 12, 1 and 2 are critical for us to move forward in the do's and don'ts. In view of God's mercy. Can we just look back and see how good God has been? faithful in his scriptures, faithful in your life. And with that in view, then you act a certain way. You don't try to act a certain way so that then you'll get that mercy. And here's what's beautiful about this verse. And I'm going to riff it for a second, then I'll be done. I promise we'll read. But here's how brilliant Paul is, or the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Here's how beautiful this is. In the Old Testament, there was a, a, a way in which you, you gained mercy. You brought animals to sacrifice. You brought your grains and you brought things to sacrifice to the Lord. You brought them to the temple. You brought them to a priest and he would do this ceremony. And then once that sacrifice was fully consumed on the, on the altar, then mercy was given in a sense. And then Christ comes along and he, he completely flips that up. So are you, are you, he fulfills all of that. He becomes the perfect sacrifice. Not, he was without sin, without blemish. He's the perfect lamb placed upon the altar of the cross, if you will, and, and consumed in his entirety, not physically, but it consumed all of him. He became sin who knew no sin. And so he then fulfills all of the Old Testament way in which you could get mercy. Christ fulfills it. But he doesn't just fulfill it and stay in the grave. He's not like any other sacrifice. What does Christ do? We've already referenced it several times. He's resurrected. And in his resurrection, he's now alive. He becomes the living sacrifice. Sacrificed once and for all, Hebrews tells us. But yet he is now the living sacrifice. Now I'm just going to piece some things together for you. Galatians 2.20, uh, Amanda read Romans 6 earlier. If we have died with Christ and he is now alive, then we are alive in Christ. And so when we get to this, how in the world could we be a living sacrifice? How could we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice? Here's how. Christ has done that. Christ has been the living sacrifice and is currently the living sacrifice. So what is, the, what is Paul getting at here is every day, every moment of every day, we are to be putting our whole selves, because Christ has done this work, we put our whole selves on the altar to be consumed 100% all the time. And then we, 
walk, living sacrifice, we walk in obedience. Is it, is it making some sense? A living sacrifice. And here's the thing about living sacrifices. Though, they want to crawl off the altar. That's what we want to do. We don't want to be consumed. We don't want to be wholly, fully, 100% gods. We want to keep something back. Something tucked in the corner back there. No, 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 you can't have that. When I'm baptized, I'm going to hold my wallet up out of the water. No, not my money. You know, but no. Christ calls for God calls for a hundred percent sacrifice, which is what Christ did for us and rose from the grave. And now we have the same ability to do what Paul is telling us to do in view of God's mercy in Christ. See, the mercy is already given to us. Before you had to do the sacrifices and then you got the mercy. Now we have the mercy because the sacrifice is finished. Now all we have to do is present ourselves holy and pleasing to God. And that is worship. That is worship. We come in here on Sundays and we sing wonderful songs of truth together. We hear preaching of the word together. We give our tithes and our offerings. We have what is maybe the most important meal you will have in the, uh, in the week. It is the most important. When you take communion together and we remember, we remember, come together, and we remember Jesus Christ and what he's done for us in view of his mercy all of that is corporate worship. We do it together. But man, when you walk out of these doors, every step of your life should be something of worship to the Lord. You might not be singing the song, but you're living as Christ lived. Christoformity. We're living as he lived in the identity of Christ. And we can only do that if, verse 2, we conform. We do not conform to the pattern of the world, but transformed in the renewing of our mind. Conformed, think of a, uh, a cookie cutter. And when you cram all that dough into that cookie cutter, well, that's not how you do it, but you roll the dough out and then you put, but let's say for this example, you cram all the dough into that cookie cutter. You're conforming that dough to the shape of that cookie cutter. That's what the world wants you to do. The great American dream, as much as I love it, it's a cookie cutter and we're trying to cram our lives into the American dream and how it looks. Man, the things you hear on the news these days, the things that we know go against Christ and his word, that's the world. And, he's, and they're trying to cram our lives and our thoughts and our philosophies and the way we do education, the way we bring up our children, all of those things. They're trying to cram it into what the world thinks we should be conformed to. But Paul tells us, to not do that, and we have the power not to do that, by renewing our mind, by renewing our mind. And how do you renew your mind? How do you renew your mind? Here's the easy answer. You just think of yourself less. Think of yourself less. There's your lesson for today. This one has brought me the most conviction as I've been reading through the scripture and preparing because I want to be, I want to live a life that looks like Christ and has the identity of Christ. But man, I think about me a lot. I get up in the morning thinking about me. What am I going to do today? How am I going to provide for my family? Uh, what did somebody say about something? How am I going to respond to that Facebook thing? Uh, ridiculous stuff. And I think about stuff. I should just mention that. I think about well, how am I going to get some more stuff? 
I think about me. That's my confession to you. I know you guys don't do it. (laughs) Kudos, guys. And if you do, the, the call is just to think of yourself less. Now, don't think of yourself as nothing. Christ is alive in you. So think of Christ. Think of the, the in view, view of the mercies. You think of Christ. So what, what makes you then think of Christ? These will be easy. Man, when I read my Bible, if I'm really into it, I'm thinking about what Christ has done. Now, if I'm just flipping the pages or, hey, what am I going to read today? Nah, nah, I, I, you know, maybe, maybe not. When I have an important decision to make, do I think, what would Jesus do? Or do I think, what would be the best outcome for me? What would be the best outcome even for my family? That could, that's not thinking of Christ. And so I hope you see, just renewing your mind setting our mind on Christ is a, is, can be a difficult thing to do. We can only do it in view of God's mercy, remembering what he's done. And so just some simple practical things to remind you of what he's done. Being in the word, this is, this is the Sammy Sunday school answer, not that Sammy, but the easy answers are, man, you, you, you're in the word. Prayer, if you can constantly be having conversation with the Lord, you will be thinking of the Lord and not yourself. Uh, prayers of supplication, fancy word to say pray for other people. And when you're praying for other people, it's hard to think about yourself. You're just praying for other people can renew your mind. And I would say for me, I mean, being, being with the church family, worshiping on Sunday really sets your heart and your mind. You're renewing your mind when you come in here. When you sing songs, which you don't, you don't sing these songs at your workplace probably, but when you sing songs together in here, you're renewing your mind. You're remembering how good Christ and his mercies have been. And when you take communion, and listen, to, uh, let me tell you this right now in communion. We need to take it in a worthy manner. Scripture calls us to do that. That means some self-reflection. And I would, I would say most every week when we think of communion we probably think of ourselves first. I got to get right with the Lord. I need to confess. Let me do this. And you should do that. But the whole meal is to remind us of the body and the blood of Jesus. That should be our focus. And so, yes, we should repent. Yes, we should be right with the Lord. Not just in that moment, all the time. But in that moment, the meal is about the death and the resurrection of Jesus. That's what we're remembering. Not how bad I was. We're remembering how good God is. The mercy of Jesus Christ. So in view of God's mercy through Jesus, we have this meal that then renews our mind. If you're from the Catholic faith, it might even renew your body. I like that personally. Because you know what? Thing, this is going to sound ridiculous, but things that are meaningful things that make you feel something, it's because they're full of meaning. When something's full of meaning, it's meaningful. When we have baptisms, look, I'm a grown man. When we have baptisms, I can't help but be like, okay, somebody's cutting onions in here. That's so sweet. And you know why? Because that is full of meaning. And so it's meaningful to me. Communion every week is full of rich meaning and it's doing something. So it should be meaningful to us. 
Yes, Lord, forgive me of my sins, but not just Lord, forgive me of my sins. It's Lord, remind me of your goodness and the cost of what you had to pay so that I could be right with you forever. Let it be meaningful. So think of yourself less. If you want to renew your mind, set your mind on Christ. Then what does it look like? The rest of the book of Romans, which I won't read to you today. But I'll give you some of these. Verse 3. For by grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. Don't, don't think of yourself. Think of Christ. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment and complete understanding in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each one of us, uh, for just as each of us has one body with many members, all of these members do not have the same function. So in Christ, in the body of believers, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We belong to each other. Church, we belong to each other. I am not my own person. You are not your own person. We belong to each other. And then belonging to each other, do you see now why we need to renew our mind? Because I don't want my sin dragging you down, even if you don't know about it. I belong to you. You belong to me. And so it can drag us down. So we're all part of one body. Verse 6, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, uh, prophesying here in this context would be pretty much preaching the word. If you were to be able to uh, speak out the word of God, that's prophesying. So if you have that gift, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, if, you're, if you're, you're just like really good at doing things for people, serving each other, then serve. If it's teaching, if you can make the scriptures clear for someone, man, then teach. And I always, I, right here, I like to insert that, uh, and I see Jamie Corley back here. If you've ever heard Jamie Corley teach your kids the scriptures, you would see someone who's gifted in teaching. See, we sometimes think it's up here or in a Sunday school class. Man, those people who have the gift to teach kids, and I know a lot of kids are in here today and will be more second service. To be able to teach your kids and for them to grasp the concepts that are in Scripture, that is a gift. And so thank, all, to God be the glory, Jamie. To God be the glory, but thank you for using your gift. Verse 8, if it's to encourage, if it's to lift people up, if it's the word here, probably more like what we would call counseling today. If, you're, if your job is to counsel and help people through stuff, then give encouragement, then do that. If it's giving, then give generously. There are some people who are just gifted at, at, at giving, and you know it, you can see it, man. They're just, they're limitless with their, their giving to other people, and they do it generously or with a good heart. And if it's to lead, then do, do that diligently. You guys have seen leaders before, people that just have this magnetism. You want to follow them. They can give you a clear vision. You're like, I want to follow them. That's a spiritual gift, according to Paul. And if it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Now, we're all called to be some parts of these, but some people have them in greater measure. And just real quickly, a story. It happened just yesterday. I have a friend of mine, and we, we text each other, our, when, we've, when we've prayed, this is going to sound legalistic, but it's not. It's, a, it's an accountability measure for me and for him. And so we, we've endeavored to pray at least three times a day. And so each morning we'll say, hey, morning prayers. He'll say morning prayers. And at midday, we'll, you know, we've said our midday prayers, vice versa. And we'll do that throughout the day. 
And, uh, and I don't tell you that as like some sort of like, oh, look at me. I, we need to be praying constantly, all of us. This is just like a helpful reminder for me. I just need accountability in it. That's a part of my renewing of the mind is when that text goes off. Midday prayers and I haven't said my prayers yet. Ah, thank you for the accountability. But this guy is, I mean, got the mercy gift like you wouldn't believe. He is so filled with mercy and he does it cheerfully. So just yesterday, we were helping a, a, a young lady who had been uh, displaced in her house, and she didn't have a house anymore. She had a teenager, and somehow we got in contact, and I was helping her get into a, an extended stay for just a minute, and I know I didn't have the resources to help her long term, and I didn't know what to do, and honestly, my mercy gift is a little low, if I'm honest. Um, it's a lot low. And so for me to even make that step was hard. And then, you know, I question all the things and I feel guilty that I can't do more. And I'm a pastor and I should be able to do it. I should have the mercy gift and I don't. But I called my buddy because he has the mercy gift. And I know he's got the mercy gift. And man, I just said, hey, look, here's a situation and somebody could use your help. And he goes, I'm on it. Give me the address. What's the name? I'm on it. And let me tell you, to God be the glory. But man, he put this lady up and her teenage daughter in housing for an extended period of time. And then he, he hooked them up with a church that had the resources and the facilities and the things to be able to get this person back on their feet. And this woman and her daughter are doing great now because the mercy gift in, in one of our, in, in somebody that I know, that mercy gift was so, and when he's telling me about it, yesterday he texts me to go, just curious, not to heap condemnation on you, but why have you not asked about so-and-so? <laughs> like, I, you know, I thought I delegated mercy. I thought, hey, you do it, you know. And immediate conviction, y'all, immediate conviction. Because I wanted to follow that story to the end. I wanted to hear this part of it. That she's doing well. That she's going to church. That she's getting on back on her feet. Like, he wanted to share it because he knows that's his gift. And him sharing it with me, A, did convict me that my mercy can grow more. I can renew my mind and think of Christ and how merciful he's been to me and I can show more mercy to people. But man, to be able to share in that blessing, to see what God's doing in her life, to see what God's doing in his life as he's operating in the obedience that Christ has given him and the giftedness that he's given him, his blessings went to everybody. And I feel like that's how it should be. And I think that's what Paul's saying. If you have one of these gifts, and there's plenty more sections of Scripture, 1 Corinthians uh, 12, Ephesians 4, there are more spiritual gifts listed there. If you're like, oh, none of those are me, there's plenty of them out there. But when you go all in and you operate in the giftedness that Christ has given you, when in view of God's mercy, when you see how good he's been to you, you renew your mind and think on him, you will operate in these gifts. This is what it looks like to be a Christian, not this is what it sounds like to know what a Christian is. You see that difference? Romans 1 through 11. This is how we know we are Christian. Ch chapter 12 to the end, this is what it looks like. This is what you do. I'll continue. Verse 9. Kurt challenged all of us uh, in ministry this morning. He, he challenged us to uh, memorize this verse. Love must be sincere. Let's say that together. Love must be sincere. The Greek word for sincere is like unhypocritical or something. It means 
not hypocritical. Let your love be genuine, your translation may say. Let it be sincere without hypocrisy. Don't be nice for nice sake and hate somebody. Church is real good at being nice and hating people. So let your love be genuine. You know how your love is going to be genuine? Go back to Romans 12, 1. You view of God's mercy, in view of how good he's been to you. Renew your mind. Think on things that are good. Think on Christ and you will have sincere love. And then he says, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Just right there, and we're running out of time, so I'm not going to get to all of this, but he says, love must be sincere and then hate what is evil. Love and hate, same sentence, because they're two sides of the same coin. If you, wanna love, you're, if you want your love to be sincere, you can't kind of like some evil things. You want your love to be sincere? You got to hate, despise, put away. I don't want to ever see evil again. So if there's anything in your life, man, that just comes to mind, you got to kill that. You got to kill sin or sin be killing you. Love must be sincere. So hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be glued to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. This is, this is what Christians do to one another. They're devoted to each other in love. You give each other the benefit of the doubt. Verse 11, never be lacking in zeal. Now that doesn't mean just be excited all the time. It means if you want to be on fire for the Lord, in view of God's mercy, renew your mind, right? For every answer to all these questions of how do I do it, go back to Romans 1 and 2. So never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. You want to boost in your zeal for the Lord? Serve. Exercise that gift and serve. Verse 12, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Pray all the time. Get somebody to help you with it. Verse 13, share with the Lord's people who are in need and practice hospitality. There is a reason. There is a time to be kind. And you can grow in hospitality. I'm terrible at hospitality, but I want to grow in it. So I got to think about how hospitable the Lord has been to me. He welcomed me in when I was a wretched sinner. I can be hospitable. I can grow in my hospitality. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Well, that's easy. Just bless. If people are mad at you, bless them. Pray for your enemies. Pray. It's hard to hate somebody you pray for. If you don't want to love them, don't pray for them. You want to harbor bitterness and hate? Don't pray for that person. And it'll grow on its own. And you know it to be true. But if you have someone who persecutes you, you have someone who you're at odds with, maybe they've done something to you, pray for them. And by praying for them, something happens in the end. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Verse 16, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. So... Don't think of yourselves more highly than you ought. Uh, Honor others above yourself. And this verse in 16, do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. You want to renew your mind? Don't think of yourself. Stop three times. Stop thinking about yourself. And fill that thinking time 
by renewing your mind and thinking about how good God has been to you in Christ Jesus. Verse 17, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. And if it is possible, verse 18, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. As much as it depends on you, if there's opportunity for you and you can reach out and you can make amends, Scripture calls us to do that. As much as it depends on you. Verse 19, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Pow! Yeah! That's what we want. Put those burning coals on his head. If you're nice, if you feed your enemy, here's what what burning coals are in Scripture. It's repentance. Burning coals symbolize repentance. It's that offering you've given that's burnt up, and now there's these burning coals. So you're not punishing your enemy when you feed them. You're hoping they come to repentance. Does that make sense? We read this and we go, yeah, we got them. If I'm just kind to them, we got them. No, we want them to come to repentance. And lastly, do not overcome evil. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Don't let evil get a foothold. The word in the Greek there, overcome, is really a military word. Do not be overpowered with evil. But if you want to overpower evil, you want to defeat evil, you do and you think what is good. What would Jesus do? And you do that. So today, guys, look, in view of God's mercy, in view of his goodness to you, just two things. One, offer all of yourself to him. If you're holding anything back today, offer it all to him. Offer it all to him. And then renew your mind. Read Romans 1 and 2. Uh, 12, 1 and 2 all week this week. Just renew your mind. Be reminded of his goodness. Be reminded of his mercy to you. Be at church. Be at these functions and events where you can have brotherhood. Be reminded of his goodness and his mercy. And then when you ask, what would Jesus do? You'll have the power to do it. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word that speaks both conviction and life to us. And Lord, this morning, in, in whatever part of that was, that was read aloud today, would you be glorified? Christ, would you be lifted up as we endeavor to have more Christ-deformity, Christ-deformity, we're forming ourselves into both your likeness and image, but also your identity. Would you renew our minds this morning? Remind us of your goodness. Let us walk out of here just thinking about Christ and your goodness to us. The way in which you've been merciful to us, that we can then show that to other people. Lord, that's supernatural and we need you. We need you, Jesus. Let you increase and let us decrease. And in all humility, Lord, we bring our petitions to you and we ask that you give us the power to do these things that you want us to do. And in doing so, draw us close to your loving kindness, your patience, and your favor in our lives. 
make this prayer in the powerful, the holy, and pleasing name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. Next week, we talk about paying your taxes and rebelling against the government. Y'all come back for that one, Romans 13. <laughs> See y'all next week. <laughs>